0: gazette newspapers presents the parting shots podcast now here's your host daily gazette associate sports editor ken shock thank you scott Geezy, and welcome to the parting shots podcast available wherever you get your podcast subscribe today thanks for joining me from the parting shots podcast studio in schenectady new york we have another great show for you The inaugural New York State Hockey Hall of Fame inductions takes place on Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in Troy. I'll speak with the organizer of the event, Rennie LaRue, a little bit later. I recently spoke with 1980 U.S. Hockey Olympic gold medalist Jack O'Callaghan for a story that appeared in last Sunday's Daily Gazette. O'Callaghan will be the keynote speaker at Sunday's event, and I'll play my entire interview with him. First, we're talking Union College men's lacrosse again. The Dutchman cruise past John Carroll and Western New England in the second and third rounds of the NCAA Division III Lacrosse Tournament. Now, the Dutchman head to Newport News, Virginia to face Gettysburg in the quarterfinals. On Thursday, I spoke with the team's leading scorer and the Liberty League Offensive Player of the Year, Peter Burns. Peter, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, you're getting ready to get head down to... Uh Uh, Virginia for the uh, quarterfinals of the NCAA Division III Lacrosse Tournament. How excited are you?
1: Yeah, it's really exciting. It's a great experience. I don't know, as our team's saying, we're taking the show on the road. Uh, It's fun to get out out of the Union campus and kind of head down south and make a trip out of it. We just practiced at the University of Scranton, currently standing on the Scranton field. So we're about to get on the bus, go four more hours down to Virginia, uh, stay the night there and then head down to Christian Newport the next day and practice with Seattle to play. So, oh. it's, yeah, it's really exciting. The whole team's super excited about it. It's, it's a fun experience.
0: Well, yeah, talk about the experience. I Man, obviously, getting this far, you know, what has it been like, this journey? I mean, you had a little, you had a little you know, stumble there against St. Lawrence in the Liberty League semifinals, but you know, last weekend you guys just rolled over the competition in the second and third round of the tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... At the time, we were obviously pretty bummed about that St. Lawrence loss because we wanted to win a Liberty League National or a Liberty League Championship. But um, after, after the game, we said, "All right, this is our last last speed or like last uh, mulligan. So this is basically now we're done. So next losses were our season's over." And so we kind of realized that was our last straw. Um, just put our nose down, just kept on working, um, kept on playing our uh, style of game, playing hard, practicing hard, and, and it paid off this past weekend. And, Hopefully, keep that uh, same energy, same amount
0: of on. I mean, you guys have had had an incredible season so far. Uh, coming into the season, what was the mindset uh, coming off? Yeah, you know, obviously, coming off last season, uh, dealing with the COVID the year before. I mean, what, what has this? What was the mindset like heading into the season? Did you guys realize this is a team that could go deep into the NCAA's? Yeah,
1: so we had a we had a team meeting um, for our first practice and. Our goal, is we, uh, Coach Williford, ruined the board national champions. So that's kind of been our goal since day one. We knew we have a very talented team, a lot of jobs, a lot of guys who can score and make plays. So. We we're we we're a good team, um, but we need we to work hard also. So I don't know. We're just gonna keep it rolling, and keep working hard, and keep playing together, and see where it takes us. I
0: mean, when, when did you guys realize this team is something special? Like, I mean, I could I can, I can do things.
1: I would kind of us a couple of games to, at least for our offense to click. Um, to get going, but, I don't know, I'd say about three or four games in, when, I don't know, we had guys, or, I don't know, I kind of always knew we were good, but, I don't know, one specific op- or instance, but, I kind of just think, we were, we were a good team, we had a lot of talent, and, you see it every day in practice, there's guys who are making plays, we've probably 10, 15 guys who could be playing, and starting on most D3 lineups, um, and so, we have a bunch of guys sitting on the bench who could make plays, and it's just, you no know, we have a lot of depth, a lot of really talented players, and, I don't know, we're working hard, playing well together, so i will
0: take us. And, of course, you've uh, named the uh, Liberty League Offensive Player of the Year this season. Uh, talk about your season and, and winning that award. Be What has your season been like for you, and uh, how honored were you to, to get that award?
1: Yeah, it was a great honor. Um, I kind of think it's, yeah, I got the award, but it could have been anyone on our offense, and I wouldn't have been able to have done it without a, our whole team and our whole offense because, I mean, I'm playing right now with. Probably five possible All-Americans on offense. Um, so I'm playing with two attackmen who should be All-Americans, two middies who should be All-Americans. So while I'm getting the stats and getting the recognition, it's really a team game, and they're the ones to make it happen. It's not not just me. So it's, I'm sure, I got the award, but it should be our whole offense to get the award.
0: Yeah, normally during the season, you're not playing back-to-back games. Maybe you have. You usually have a week off. Of course, you know, last week. You guys had the back-to-back games at, uh, frankly, Bailey feel with the uh, second and third rounds of the NCAAs. But how, so, how important was it to, you know, be able to have wins like the way you did, and be able to, you know, rest uh, some of the regulars there, and give some other people a chance, and and get get, get yourself ready for uh, uh, Gettysburg?
1: Yeah, that was really important. Um, I actually end up playing the fourth quarter of either game, which is really nice because I mean it's eighty-five degrees, hot and sunny. So we knew we had to keep our life ready. Um, if we were in the, so we, assume, we were assuming we were going to win Saturday so we knew we were trying to get up a lead early and try to um, get our starters out as soon as possible so we can be ready for Sunday that's kind of what we did um, and it's nice to know we have a lot of, reps, a lot of guys who can make plays so I meanwhile the starters may come out the level of play doesn't really drop that much so it's good to know that you have guys behind you can make plays and I don't know just level of comfort to, to play with.
0: Well just be clear you weren't playing on the old artificial turf that Union used to have back in the day when I mean, it was if eighty five degrees outside with a lot of I playing on that kind of old artificial yeah. turf
2: Yeah, seriously.
0: <laughs> what do you know about Gettysburg other than you know the battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War and it's in central Pennsylvania?
1: Uh honestly I don't know a whole lot. Um i am never someone who looks too into scouts. I think it kinda of flakes me out. Um so I kinda just go out and play. I'll watch film as a team but I don't really do too much research on them. I don't really like to look at scores, who they play, and how much they beat and by. Because I think it gets in my head. Um, so I just, honestly, I don't know much. I know I know they're Gettysburg. I know they're, I don't know. That's all I really know. I know they're yeah. the team, then we're going to play them on Saturday and hopefully beat them.
0: What's going to be the key on Saturday uh, to beat Gettysburg?
1: I think that's just play the team. Um, not one person can beat this team. They're obviously a really good team. They get to the quarterfinals in the NCAA tournament. We didn't get here by individual play. So as long as we stick together, play as a team, um, I think we can go really far. So that would be my, my one goal.
0: Well, the, if you do win a potential, you may be playing my alma mater, your college of Pennsylvania. I mean, I may have a little tough time to who I'm going to root for
1: in that one. <laughs> Uh, we'll hope we get there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Peter, appreciate it. a few minutes. Uh, good luck this weekend, and uh, maybe we'll sh- see a, ch- a chance for these guys battle for the national championship. Yeah, hoping so. We'll talk about the New York State Hockey Hall of Fame with Renny Larue next on the Parting Shots podcast.
2: What's your favorite high school sports memory?
0: A late inning rally? a game-winning shot, a photo finish. Maybe it's a
2: pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all.
0: School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented
3: by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm Tom Nas, head coach of the Albany Empire. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken
0: Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. It's going to be a fun night Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in Troy, as we have the first class to be inducted into the New York State Hockey Hall of Fame. The organizer of the event, Renny LaRue, joined me on Tuesday to talk about it. Well, Ronnie, appreciate you joining me here for a few minutes. Uh, we've had a basketball Hall of Fame here in New York State, a um, baseball Hall of Fame now. We finally have a hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, what inspired you to do this?
2: Uh, it had been on the plans for several years. Uh, COVID knocked us back a few years. But uh, because hockey is so big in New York State, we we are located in the capital district in the center of everything, 90 minutes from Lee Placid. Colgate, Cornell, Union, RPI, St. Lawrence, Clarkson. It's a tremendous collegiate hockey uh, state, uh, among the best in the country. And then we have tremendous youth hockey, Albany, Troy, Saratoga, Clifton Park, very strong youth hockey programs for many years. So we're, we're thrilled with the whole gamut of hockey. Uh, and then, of course, we have the Sabres, the Islanders, and the Rangers. So it, it's, a, it's a very good program.
0: Yeah. Uh, talk about some of these inductees that are coming into to uh, uh, Troy on Sunday. I, mean, I had a chance to talk with Jack Callahan uh, recently. Uh, he seems excited to be coming in. He's going to be, deliver the keynote address, uh, speech at the, uh, at the ceremony.
2: Yeah, we uh, of course, uh, the 1980 is the most thrilling for me. I'm 66. I was there in 1980 working for Xerox Corp and Lake Placid. We're thrilled to have Craig Patrick, the assistant coach of Herb Brooks, coming. Uh, he was the good cop, bad cop. He was the good cop mm-hmm. of the two. Herb, Herb was a tough guy. Uh, he'll be inducting Herb also. And then we have Mark Wells from Wisconsin, who was one of the faster skaters on the team and uh, a very strong uh He wasn't a defenseman, but he was a strong defensive player. Nobody ever scored a goal when he was on the ice. So those are great members. Each year we'll have three or four different more people of the 1980 team so they're all, they all can speak. We wouldn't have time to have them all speak Sunday. so uh, But OC was one of the central figures on that team, you know one of the top two or three or four recognizable people. Uh, great story. You know he, he was a grinder, tough player, uh, very physical, and the kind of player they needed to beat Russia. Um, the hockey, the NHL guys, Nystrom, Goring, Park Gillies, Palafontaine, it's a who's who of hockey greatness. Um, Clark passed away in February, but his wife, Pam, is coming with the Gillies Foundation and uh, representatives of the Huntington Hospital, because Clark Gillies raised $4.5 million for hockey, or for a childhood pediatric cancer. They named a wing after him, the Clark Gillies Memorial Wing at the Huntington Hospital. Uh, Nystrom is going to give Clark's speech. Uh, Nystrom and Gillies were best friends, won four consecutive Stanley Cups, which is a hockey dynasty.
0: Don't remind me uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Pavel Fontaine is unique because he was a star for the Sabres, Islanders, and Rangers, and a great career. Uh, tremendous offensive player, voted one of the top 100 hockey players of all time. Um, United States born, raised in Waterford, Michigan. Uh, also significant in that he's dedicated his life to raising money for children in hospitals, too, several different hospitals. He's a real humanitarian Um, When the Rangers play the Islanders, they name an award after him for whoever's the MVP of that series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thrilled to have him coming. Um, Three members, well, two members of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, Danny Gare, whose number is retired and hangs next to Pat LaFontaine's at the Buffalo Sabres Stadium. Uh, Danny Gare is one of the all-time top two or three players ever for Buffalo. Goalie Clint Malarchuk. uh, You know, was uh, significant for a couple different reasons. Had an on-the-ice injury, which almost, you know, cost him his life, but he survived. Uh, Tremendous story of will and courage. And uh, he's coming in from Nevada with his wife, Joni. Uh, Wonderful people. Uh, Our Hall of Fame is about honoring people. It's not based on statistics, goals, or shutouts, or whatever. It's, It's based upon legacy and people, character. And all these inductees are people that have distinguished themselves. Uh, We don't rank people in terms of statistics. and We don't rank them in any capacity, but we certainly look at their big picture and what their legacy is and how other people think of them and what they say about them. We interview a lot of people for each inductee. Uh, We're really, really thrilled. It's a great class. We have some local people getting in. Uh, A girl from Saratoga Springs, Emily Pemrick, uh, played uh, at Northeastern for four years. Uh, Rich Scammell was a scout for the Montreal Canadiens for many, many years. From Troy, we have, uh, uh, let's see, Brad Shaver, who's a longtime youth hockey guy in Clifton Park. Uh, We have Mike Smith from up in Potsdam, who was the GM of the Winnipeg Jets. And then we have Lou Vieiro, who was from Born in Brooklyn, he's the godfather of United States hockey. He was the eye in the sky for Herb Brooks in 1980, and uh, subsequently was with the USOC for many, many years. He's flying in from Denver. We're thrilled. That's good. I
0: mean, I, I, I'm hoping I still am hoping to get over there on site, But I, I would love to talk to I me. Mean, the Islanders. I grew up in Philadelphia. I'm a Flyers fan. Big Flyers fan for a long time. Of course. The Islanders started their run of four down the Cups when they beat the Flyers in six games in 1980 with Bob Nyström's overtime goal. I, I want to go up to Bob Nyström and say, "Bob, you broke my heart on May 24th, 1980." Right. <laughs> but, uh, right. I, I mean, it's yeah. I you. I grew up. I grew up in that era when the hockey. I mean, it was rough. Hockey back then was rough, and guys like Nyström, guys like Gillies. You you didn't want to mess with them. Uh, I mean, I, I remember some of the infamous fights that Clark Gillies had with Terry O'Reilly of the Boston Bruins, especially in the 1980 playoffs, how they just went at each other. But off the ice, and uh, this is what I wish, unfortunately, Clark Gillies is not uh, here anymore. I, he seems like a great guy. Uh, Bob Nystrom seems like a great guy. Of course, he's known as Mr. Islander uh, down there. Uh, it just I – th- I think in my years of covering hockey – being around the sport, I think hockey players have always been the most friendly, outgoing people of me. They could be, you, you could hate them off the ice, but you once you see them all, all, away from the rink and you talk with them, they're just like, they're, they're, they're normal people and they, they enjoy the interaction. And, and I think that's one thing that hockey has always had a special place in my heart because they, you get to know these guys and they're like, they're regular, regular, regular guys.
2: They they really are. They're really grassroots people, the kinds of people you want to be your next door neighbor or your brother or your uncle, and uh, really salt of the earth people.
0: Um, how can people? Uh, our tickets are still available for this, and uh, how can I get get tickets?
2: Yes, tickets are still available. They're a hundred dollars a piece. It's a jacket and tie event for gentlemen. Uh, they are available by calling here at five one eight eight seven seven. Five one seven zero. Receptions at four. Dinners at four forty five, and uh, a great opportunity to meet Jack O'Callahan, O.C. from the movie Miracle, and Clark uh, or uh, Bobby Neustrom and Pat Lafontaine and some of Butch Goring, so many other people. It's it's really going to be a landmark evening.
0: Of course, Butch Goring. Uh, you know, I'm not sure when the last time he was in the area but it had to be when he was coaching the Capitalistic District Islanders back uh, in the early '90s.
2: We joke about that all the time. He's a good guy, and he loved his time here. He lived in Clifton Park. His kids went to Shenandoah. Wow.
0: I, I think one of the one of the players, the Travis Green, actually lived in near me when I first moved up here uh, in 1990. I think he lived in the same apartment complex that my wife and I did in Clifton Park. So I, I get, it's kind of a weird doubt. Know, you get to see some of these people close to you.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, You know, Butch is excited to come back. And uh, we're just so happy with this. We really are. It's uh, you know, long time in planning, but we think you know it's going to be one of those really memorable nights. The first night's always memorable.
0: Yeah. One one question when I posted to my my Jack O'Callahan story to my Facebook page was where would the where is this Hall of Fame located? Where will the Hall of Fame be located for the hockey?
2: At the MVP Center in downtown Albany.
0: I think so. Are the basketballs one's going to be there too?
2: Yes, the basketball ones, there's upstairs. This will be downstairs. Uh, Bob Belber and Albany County have been very gracious about that, so we're thrilled construction will be this summer.
0: That sounds good. Can't wait to see that happen. And, uh, Rennie, I appreciate a few minutes talking about this and uh, looking forward to Sunday.
2: Super, Ken. Thanks so much. I'll see you Sunday.
0: As I mentioned earlier, Jack O'Callahan from the 1980 Miracle on Ice hockey team will be there. He will give the keynote speech. I had an enjoyable chat with him recently, and here is my interview with Jack O'Callahan. How much yeah. are you? How much are you looking forward to being uh, if, uh, coming up for this Hall of Fame induction ceremony? Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I
3: um, I think it's a really great thing that they're doing up there. You know, in uh, the Albany area, and um, you know, there's a lot of obviously great, great uh, you know hockey stories from the state of New York. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic way to sort of memorialize a lot of it and to, to build from there. So, yeah, we're going to be part of the uh, original cast and crew, and uh, we're pretty honored
1: about that.
0: I mean, it's been 42 years since the Miracle on Ice. I mean, are you, are you surprised that this legacy continues? and me people still talk about it after all this time? Uh, I think mean, I you
3: couldn't have scripted it 42 years ago if you'd said you think you're sort going of to be talking this when you're 60, you know, almost 65 years old. But um, it was pretty special. Sure. And it was in a time where media really wasn't like it is now. I mean, you know, somebody makes, you know, a three-point shot in basketball, and, then, then you know, they're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But, you know, um, back then it was a little different, right? There was just not a lot of media, and it was... not a lot of coverage and boom we were right into trying to make our mark playing professionally and um and what have you we always did have a special thing about us having you know having defeated the soviets having won that gold medal in, in the fashion that we did and then you know you're wrapping all the other stuff around it with uh you know the political and the social and cultural and what have you there american hockey and everything else but um you know the movie coming out and the documentary that came out sort of in the early 2000s really sort of supercharged the whole story. And that happened in a in a in a time when again, you know, media was looking for any kind of content and stories and 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 there was you know there was internet at that point and email and texting and who knows what else, right? So that that really uh, seemed to supercharge it a little bit for us. But we've always it's always been a topic of conversation you know since 1980 i mean even when i was playing hockey in Monken, new brunswick you know i mean everybody knew that i was on that miracle team and that was in the year, you know early 80s and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I, mean, I guess i'm not really that
0: surprised yeah i mean what was it like I mean, you guys you were you were, you were plenty of boston university players plenty of minnesota players yeah i mean what was the trying to get the guys together and obviously there had to be rivalries uh yeah, you to know, the two biggest uh, college hockey markets at that time. Uh, I mean, what was the what was the uh, indoctrination like in trying to get along with everybody? Um. Well,
1: you, you, you kind
3: of—I'm sure you've, you've read all about it, or you know, seen it—that there it was definitely some bad blood that was there. But um, that was all college stuff, right? We were just pretty New England hockey players. are kind of proud of who they were. And it's, it's the Midwest Midwestern guys, you know, East western guys they were they were proud of who they were right so it was almost this sort of geographical or this regional like you know whenever we play each other it just it meant more right and um so that was it and then you, but now these kids these these, there's no real borders i mean american hockey players play they overlap in these usa hockey camps right so they know each other from the time they're 13 14 years old like a kid that grows up in Chelmsford, Mass, knows a kid from Troy, New York, and they play on a team with a kid from, you know, somewhere in Michigan and somewhere in in Arizona, and then, you know, they're playing up in a tournament, freaking, I don't know. So, it's all different now, but back then, there was definitely separation of church and state, so it was like we were out northeast, they were kind of in the Midwest, and when we did cross paths, there was just a lot of animosity. Now, you got to understand, two, three years prior to the Olympics, I mean, we you know we had that sports festival so that was what have you and then we did a lot of us got together playing in like the 78 and 79 world cup 78 was in Prague and 79 was in Moscow so you know by the time we got to the real tryouts in the summer 79 I mean all that all that stuff was sort of behind us at that point we all kind of knew each other and we realized it was just all hockey players and you know we all wanted to do well and Play hard against each other, but the the bad blood was kind of gone at that point for the most part. But, you know, it's like anything else. I mean, look, you play with, you grow up in your hometown of, you know, Albany, playing in a hockey team. You know, some kids from this neighborhood in Albany aren't going to like kids from that neighborhood in Albany. It's the same kind of deal with us. You know, we were just in geographically separate neighborhoods, but we we're all American hockey players.
0: What did Herb Brooks mean to you, and you know, what did you learn from him?
3: Uh, well, I played with some pretty good coaches, you know, in my life. I mean, I had Jack Parker at BU for four years, pretty special guy and um, <clears throat> pretty demanding, very de- demanding. Um, we had great success. My high school coach, this guy, Dave Collins, another great guy. Um, you know, and then Herbie, I ran into Herbie. So Herbie was, I don't know, he's just another great coach and, and uh, a lot like Jack, you know, Parker, very demanding, um, different type of coach, you know, Parker was a little more structured. Herbie was a little less structured, you know. Uh, You
1: know,
3: I guess in the 70s, there really wasn't a lot of off-ice training going on at all. I mean, I used to exercise and work out. I used to run a lot because I'm from Boston. You know, everybody runs in Boston, Mm -hmm. jogging and and stuff. But, um, you know, Herbie really had this, We know, an exercise physiologist on staff, right? This is Jack Latherwick and I really learned a lot about sort of the the connection between physical fitness and your abilities on the ice right so you know i've been i've been coached by like I said very demanding coaches that were great coaches and very successful guys and I listened to them and I respected them but um learning about the off ice stuff and, and and sort of learning a different perspective whereas we we're a little bit of a less structured environment on an on ice less structured environment so yeah it was just it just kind of opened my, opened my mind a little bit because, again, going from a, you know, at BU, I had a great coach there, and it was perfect for me at the time, and I was ready to, for something a little different, a little more challenging, a little more creative. I mean, fortunately, I had that foundation that I had, you know, from my years at BU, and then my year with uh, Herb Brooks, it really helped me transition to becoming a pro, which was uh, very helpful.
0: When did you guys realize that you were something, you had something special going on during that Olympics?
3: Uh, I I mean, I I don't really, I'm not sure if it was something special, you know, I guess probably when it was over. I mean, you know, we all wanted to play on that, on that Olympic team. I mean, that was it, right? I mean, think about it back then. American hockey players did not play in the national hockey league. I mean, the national hockey league was run by Canadian GMs and Canadian coaches and Canadian players. And it was a, a very, uh, you know, repressive glass ceiling for American hockey players. And, um, I mean, even me personally, you know, I wanted to graduate graduated BU in 79 at, you know, pretty smart kid or whatever. And I was playing on the Olympic team and then, you know, go to business school, right. And then go to wall street or something like that or whatever. But, um, never thought I'd be playing, I'd be a professional hockey player as, a, as an American hockey player. I just didn't think it was, it was an opportunity that was available to me. So, um, When it was over, you know, all of a sudden guys were getting chances to play, right? Mm -hmm. And there were some other guys that were kind of, you know, starting to sniff their way in, you know, guys like Chris Nyland and Paul Holmgren and Jimmy Korn and, you know, and obviously Tommy Williams had played for the Bruins back in the 60s. So there was, you know, there were dribs and drabs, but but very little. And um, I guess when they started letting guys, you know, giving guys opportunities to kind of step into NHL lineups, we were looking around going like, wow, this is, pretty different and pretty interesting and in what's going on here right so for me that was part of it um we were a good team you know we knew we were a good team we worked hard we played you know 50 games 55 games before we played seven olympic games and uh, we were really good man we played a lot of you know we played nhl teams and sort of AAA baseball level you know minor league teams so the top minor league teams were all the nhl teams and we we smoked those guys so we knew we had good players. We knew we had a good concept, a good team, and we had a great coach, and we were very fit. Uh, so we knew we were good, but uh, you know, no one really saw this coming that we were going to kind of, you know, what we did and kind of run the table and Lake Placid and walk away with a gold medal. I mean, that was you know, it was something we all wanted to do, and in our, you know, in our hearts, we believed we knew we could do it because we all believed in ourselves. But uh, you know, we knew it was a stretch. Yeah.
0: And especially, I think it was right before you guys went up to Lake Placid. So you got blown out by the Russians, 10-3 uh, t- 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 in uh, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So I mean,
3: yeah. I mean it a- wasn't a fun day. Um, <laughs> and I blew my knee up that game. And uh, you know, Roger was a little banged up. I mean, we we got banged up a little bit. Plus, they beat us 10-3. Kind of, um, it happens. I mean, the, the nice thing about it is we weren't demoralized. You know, we had been together for nine months and even longer. And you think that. You know, all these Minnesota guys, a lot of them had played college together for two, three, four years and you know, we had four guys at B U that all know each other. So this, you know, right there was like fourteen guys. He's kind Mark Johnson and Bobby Suda were been through the we had all been through the ringers at top levels and we had twenty guys in our teams, you know, we were all like captains of teams and all Americans and, and successful accomplished players and team players and everything else. So, you know, we got B 3 and it wasn't like we went home and started crying to our parents about it. We just like kind of dusted ourselves off and said, Okay now we know what's going to happen to us if we play like that again so uh, let's get ready for the next game you know and we had that mindset and uh yeah we just had to go like you know you can't do anything about the game you just played you can do something about the sweden game coming up in four days or three days so that was kind of our mindset and um we definitely hunkered down and paid more attention we were a little bit loosey-goosey against the russians maybe tried to play that kind of game with them, you know, like a kind of run-and-gun game, which is impossible. You just lose that game against the Russians all the time. So, we definitely tightened up and uh, we realized, that, okay, we're in the Olympics and then, you know, Herbie made sure we knew it yeah. and uh, delivered a pretty strong message, uh, you know, in between the first and second period of that Sweden game. And then, you know, after that, it was just like, play, play, and you know, play, rest, play, rest every other day and, and uh, next thing you know, play in the Russians. So, yeah, it was, just, it was great. It was perfect timing and it probably helped us to get our butts kicked by the Russians because it definitely, uh, you know, forced us to kind of get back to the keep it simple kind of, keep it, you know, the keep it simple mentality that uh, is something that really works for, for hockey teams, you know, keep it simple, do the simple things, work hard, pay attention, do the simple things, you know, don't try to get outside yourself. And um, yeah, that's how teams have success.
0: When you guys beat the Russians in the, in Lake Placid in that uh, Friday night game, uh, what, what, what was it like? I, mean, I still you know, I remember the atmosphere right. being crazy and all that stuff and uh, just a celebration on the ice. Yeah. You guys knocked Tretiak out of the game, which was amazing in itself. So we, what was that to, to do that after what they did to you in Madison Square Garden? What did that mean?
3: Well, you know, we were really thinking about what they did to us in Madison Square Garden at that point. You know, we were just thinking about, okay, this is a pretty big game. And, you know, I mean – we know what not to do, so... I remember talking to Mark Johnson, and, you know, day before the game, I was like, I, you know, I, I think we can beat these guys. And, and Mark's like, well, the only... He really knew the Russians, because his dad, Badger Bob, had coached the 76 team in Innsbruck. And Mark loved the Russians. You know, he loved the way they played. You know, Mark was just a fantastic hockey player, and... uh yeah, we both kind of agree. It's like, listen, the only way you got a chance against the Russians is you got to get to the third period where you like tied or down a goal. If you're down like two goals in the third period, this is not a team you have any chance of coming back against. So we got to keep it close. And we were all, you know, it kind of went around the team. We're like, yeah, we got to just keep it tight, you know, keep it close. And and you know, after the first period, when Davy Christian scored that goal to tie it up, oh no, actually, Mark Davy jumped it in, and Mark scored the goal to yeah. tie it up at two two we're like, huh, all right, twenty minutes gone, you know, it's one third of the game. We're tied. Pretty good. And then in the second period, I think Jimmy Craig had probably the best period of hockey he had, you know, in the entire Olympics. Um, they outshot us, I don't know, like felt like it felt like it was a hundred to two, but it was probably something like sixteen to two or three <laughs> or something. But they really swarmed us in the second period and they only came out of it up one goal. And so we were in the locker room kind of thinking we got a 20 minute hockey game against these guys and we're down a goal it's like we got these guys where we want them almost you know and we had the emotion with us and we had you know the abilities we were you know think about it we were the youngest men's olympic hockey team in history of the men's u.s men's olympic hockey program so and we still are to this day we were the youngest men's olympic hockey team that the united states has ever put into the olympics so we were young we were you know, accomplished players, like I said, great shape, physically fit. And we were all as competitive as, as competitive as anybody you've ever seen. And every game in that team was competitive lunatic, me included. And, um, we had a 20 minute game against the Russians and they were, they were the Russians. And we, we were the United States and we were like, you know, screw these guys. Here we come, you know, and, uh. Even Ken Dryden talks about He's like, you know, usually teams just fade against the Russians. He goes, the U.S. is getting stronger, and the Russians seem to be, you know, fading a little bit. Now, that being said, you put yourself in the Russians' mindset. You know, they want everything everywhere, and they probably maybe look past us a little bit. So, you know, the pieces sort of fell in place for us, but that being said, you know, when the pieces fall in place for you, it's like you still have to take advantage of it. And We were... Because of our fitness and our competitiveness and our abilities and talents, um, yeah, we were able to take advantage of it and win the, win the third period, two to one, and that's uh, that was all we needed.
0: And of course, you guys still had to play another game because uh, it wasn't really yeah. a medal round yeah. like it is today. But you guys yeah. had to play uh, what uh, Finland in the uh, Finland. Yeah. championship game, and yeah, you, know, you guys were let me look like was, you guys were struggling for two periods, but then you took it to control in the third period.
3: Well, again, it, it's just pretty similar to the Russian game, right? I mean, the, we won the game in the third period, and, and in, the, in the the Finn game, and we were down. We were down. I think I don't know, maybe two to one or something going into the third. I think. Yeah, we were down two to one going into the third, and uh, we were down three to two going into the Russians. But again, two to one going. You know, we're playing Finland, and, and you know, believe me, Finland was a great hockey team, right? You look at that lineup, that roster that they had out there. I mean, there a lot of guys that went to the National Hockey League and had long careers. And, um, again, you know, here we are, second period, kind of staying in the game, same mindset as the Russian game. But We're playing a tremendously talented competitive team. And, 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 you know, we weren't – our heads weren't in the sky just because we had beaten the Russians. And, believe me, Herbie made it very clear. We all knew we had a game to play, and we knew it wasn't over. But they were just good. But, um, you know, between the second and third period, I mean, we just – we just walked, you know. I don't think anybody sat down. We were like just pacing, like 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 lions in a cage, and just like just let us back on the ice because there's no way we'll lose this game. And we went back out. I think, you know, as a credit to our team, I think that we played you know 58, 60 games or something over nine months or something like that. And I think the great, the best 20 minutes of hockey we played the entire year was our last 20 minutes together, and we went out. In that third period against Finland, just blew their doors off. And you know, we scored three goals. They got nothing. We just controlled the game. We ran right over them uh, like steamrollers. And um, yeah, so you know, it's, it, you look back on it, it was almost destined, right? It was, it was, it was the time for USA hockey to step up on the world stage. You know, we had had a great performance in '72. We had had a great performance in '76. You know, and the college teams are really good. You know, the national hockey league would not give us a chance. You know, all these Canadians were like keeping us out of the league. I mean, we were definitely second-class citizens. Um, and collectively in the United States, I mean, from guys like Herbie Brooks and John Mariucci and the older guys, you know, Jack Kelly and, and those great old names from, uh, USA hockey. And then get on to that level of, you know, Herbie Brooks and Jack, Jerry York and Jack Parker and, you know, and all of us players that looked up to these guys that played, you know, before us at Minnesota and BC and Harvard and BU and and Michigan and Michigan Tech and all these great American hockey players, that we get no chance. I mean, we were we were just sick and tired of it, and I think it all really coalesced in the 80 Olympic Games, and and in that third period against Finland, I mean, it was like all of that that sort of energy and strength and and sort of sick of it. Feeling that we had just really, we just dropped it on the ice against Finland. We we're like, okay, we, you know, like okay, world, here we are, and like this is our time. It's not just our time as the nineteen Olympic team. It's our time as the as the as the American hockey player on the world stage. And that was like, that's it. Right now, here we are, and you can't stop us anymore. So,
0: is it true that Herb Brooks said if you lose this game, you'll take it to your bleeping graves?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he said that. You know, he said it because I mean, he's like. He goes, you know, you guys, you came in here, everybody thought you were going to finish fourth or fifth. I mean, you know, here you are. You're like one game away from winning a gold medal. You know, you beat the Russians great, but nobody's going to remember that if you lose to Finland. So he's like, you kind of screwed yourself. You know, think about it. We played, you know, seven games or six games where we were the underdog. Now sudden we're the favorite against a damn good Finnish hockey team. So, yeah, Herbie made it very, very clear. He goes, you know, you screw this up. He goes, you'll be, yeah. I mean, I know a guy named Jerry Heidenreich, who was a, a swimmer in 72, and he, he, he was the world record holder in every event that Mark Spitz won, and Jerry Heidenreich did not qualify for any of the events because they had some donor from USA Swimming from Chicago, and he wanted to have a time trial in an outdoor pool in Oak Park, Illinois, in like April, Jerry Heidenreich from, from Dallas who was the greatest, One of the, maybe the, one of the greatest American swimmers of all time, he goes up there to qualify. He had never swum in an outdoor pool in his life, and he jumped in that pool and froze. And he didn't qualify for three events where he held the world record, and Mark Spitz went out and won gold, seven gold medals and became, you know, had a great life and a, a tremendous experience. And Jerry Heidenreich, his life circled down the drain, and, you know, basically he had tremendous, you know, Psychological drug alcohol problems, the rest of his life because of that experience. So, I'm not going to say that would happen to us, but it happened. It's happened in the past, and I think Kirby recognized that. That you know, this is something like you don't want to be talking about this when you're 60. Like, how the hell did you guys lose to Finland after you beat the Russians? So he's just going to go out and freaking close the deal,
0: and we did it. <laughs> <laughs> did the movie Miracle get it right? Uh, you know.
3: Get it right, you know. The director told me, I and mean, I get to know him pretty well, Gavin O'Connor. He's a good guy from New York. Yeah, he should be in the he should be in the he should be in the, be in the Hockey Hall of Fame because he was the director of Miracle. How's that? Put <laughs> Gavin in the Hall of Fame because he's a Staten Island kid, a Brooklyn kid, and grew up in a family of cops and firemen, kind of like I did in Boston. And, and uh, we just clicked. And uh, he told me after all the filming and everything else he did, all the all the material they assembled from that HBO documentary, He was like, Jack, I, I, this should be a miniseries because this should actually be a miniseries. And, uh, again, it was 2004, you know, it probably would be, now you could probably do it. It'd be like, you know, the Sopranos, right? Yeah. <laughs> Only the hockey version. But, um, you know, he just said, look, he goes, I got enough for a miniseries here. This is one of the greatest stories I've ever been part of. And he said, you know, and he was like, they won't let me do it. Now I got a four hour movie. and You know, Disney was like, all right, look, two hour movie. That's it. So he had a boil, you know. I mean, I talked about all this stuff that we went through, you know, going all, all the way back to even you know, the 1960 Olympics, and here we are in 1980, and we're really making a statement. Um, he's going to boil all of that, all of that USA hockey history and our team and everything else and all the stuff that was going on in the world with the gas lines and the hostages and the Cold War and all this stuff, right? He's going to put that in a two-hour movie and try to explain to people the background and everything else, and he's got two hours, I mean, it's quite an accomplishment that he was able to actually get that message across and actually tell a lot of the stories, you know, from our experience um, and sort of keep it focused on our team and and obviously film the hockey scenes and the off-ice stuff. So it it got it as right as it possibly could, you know, I think. It just, it got, unfortunately, you know, like any movie, right, you've got some players or or roles that are going to be more of a, you know, standout than other guys and, that's not necessarily fair to everybody because we definitely had 20, 20, 20, even 22 characters, great guys on that team. But yeah. you can't, not everybody can have a major role. So, you know, four or five of us had major roles. Other guys, some guys, you don't even know, you know, you might not even know when Neil Brot was on the team or I even mean, Kenny Morrow, who's, you know, two great players, right?
0: Yeah, Kenny. Um, yeah, Kenny Moore did all right for himself at that four straight Stanley Cup. No,
3: no, Kenny. You know, <laughs> Kenny. Kenny's, Kenny's great. He's cool about it. He's, he's one of the guys right, right away. Is like, hey, what are you going to do? It's a movie, you know. And they really told a great story, and it's about our, it's about the team. It's not about the individuals. And they did what they did. They they chose it. Um, we didn't. So at the end of the day, he's like, it's a great movie, and I think people are going to love it. So that's really all that matters.
0: Do you remember the made-for-TV movie that came out the year after? Yeah, uh, yeah, Miracle on Ice with Carl Malden as Herb Brook. Yeah, I sure do. What did you think of that?
3: Well, it was a little different, you know. uh, They raced it out. They jammed it out. I mean, the fun thing about it for me was the person that played me in the movie was this, um, what was his name? I can't believe I can't pull that one out of my head. It'll come to me in a minute. Uh, he was in Seven Brides with Seven Brothers anyway, he's a good looking dude, long hair, and, you know, blah blah blah. But he was married to Michelle Pfeiffer at the time, which was interesting.
0: Peter um, Peter Horton.
3: <laughs> Peter Horton, yeah. He was married to Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, geez. Which was kinda cool because after Michelle got rid of him, she ended up marrying David Kelly, whose yeah. whose dad was who David Kelly who played hockey at Princeton. Right. And whose dad was the head coach at Boston University when I was a kid growing up in Boston. So yeah. You know, Michelle's kind of around the hockey world. I kind of like that. I think it's cool, and uh, so I remember that part about the movie. Uh, but but the big difference in the movie, I think, was uh, well, you know, I mean, it was done in nineteen eighty one technology, so that's part of it. The other part of it is that they, um, you know, in two thousand and four, obviously the, the digital technology and movie making and the, the way they could make, you know, the things they could do with whatever blue screens, however the hell they do it, but. And, and music and, and everything else. It was just, you know, they had more tools to the, to uh, in their toolbox. Um, but also, actually in 1981 when they did this, they actually hired actors and tried to teach them how to skate. Like they just didn't really spend much time on the hockey scene. Mm-hmm. And in, in 2004 when they did the movie, they flipped it and they hired hockey players, you know, really good college and pro hockey players, and they taught them how to act okay so the hockey scenes in the 2004 movie miracle are phenomenal right because they're they chore- they're choreographed from actual plays that happened on the ice which was which was great i mean you watch the hockey the, the hockey scenes you know I, I was there on the set they had this this guy out there and he had this like camcorder strapped to his chest and he's he looked like a roller derby guy and he's right in the middle of the action taking pictures he's getting it is getting knocked all over the ice. but he got some great some great footage. Um, you had these really good hockey players out there, you know, going through the choreographed scenes. They knew how to skate, pass, shoot, right? They just knew how to do stuff. So the hockey scenes were great, and then obviously the the story that they told with the, the characters throughout the movie. Uh, I think they just did a great job, and and on top of that, Kurt Russell was I thought it was you know he's just a special special performer i think
0: he just did a great job yeah, he was perfect for that role obviously he's a hockey player as yeah. well so yeah and you, yeah. Met, you mentioned jack kelly jack uh, i knew jack from his days uh that. Yeah. Don't
3: yeah, yeah don't worry. he was down in like uh, glens falls or something yeah. right yeah yeah
0: yeah that's right. So I used, to, I used to cover the Hershey Bears for the York Daily Records, so I got... Yeah, they always seemed to play Adirondack in the playoffs every spring, so... And then when yep. I moved up here, I got to know Jack a little bit more, so... He's
3: yep. a good guy. He's an interesting guy. Tough guy. Yep. Really
0: tough. Yep.
3: He was, uh, yeah, he was... Yeah, he was... Uh, he coached the Boston Braves for a while, and he he was he coached Boston University Hockey and, uh, you yeah, know, legend, obviously. Mr. Kelly was a pretty special guy, and his son David's a good man and he's had a tremendous career, right? So, uh... Yeah, it's a pretty good
0: connection there. I'll wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Stay tuned.
2: I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? less division and school sports have it down to a science looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us look no further than high school sports in new york this message presented by the new york state public high school athletic association and the new york state athletic administrators association
1: Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter, Shenandoah Breer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor, Ken Schott.
0: Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 13 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Greg English of Scotia. Greg wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Greg. The VIP winner is Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you'd like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click the Auto Racing banner. I'm happy to announce that I have a college hockey column. The column, called Opening Faceoff, made its debut Friday. It'll be fun to offer some opinions on the sport and I'm going to have some fun with it. Please check it when you can. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. And do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Peter Burns, Rennie LaRue, and Jack O'Callaghan for being a part of the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter, at slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers, I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.